Hi, everyone, and welcome to the In the Shoes of podcast, where I make it my goal to see life as much as possible from someone else's point of view. Just like we all have a unique heartbeat, every single one of us sees life only from our own perspectives. Think about it. Can you see and process life exactly as Elon Musk sees and processes life? The answer is you can't, and it applies to every living conscious being here on this pale blue dot. There are a lot of issues in the world, as always, right? And one of them, especially in the States and probably all over, I don't know, is the issue of racism. Racism is not good. We all know that, right? Right? I mean, don't we know that? Maybe we don't. Some of us, and maybe there are just things that we don't realize that we do that are even just kind of racist, like a little bit of uh, some microaggressive type things, or just, you know, some things that we do or say that we're, we're just not thinking it through about how it might affect another person. So Zakia Walker, the person I interviewed in this amazing episode, addresses a lot of these things. And uh, she has built her business around a specific niche, which you're going to hear about. It's fascinating. And she has a lot of insight, especially for those of us like myself. I'm a white dude. And I'm not saying that. I'm not ashamed of that. No, I mean, hey, I'm a white dude. And I'm from the Midwest. That's what it is, you know? But with that, uh, growing up in a more homogenous environment, I feel that it's pertinent that I learn from various cultures, get, you know, more culture in my life. I mean, I've had the great opportunity of being able to travel around the world and meet with other cult people from different cultures and people from all walks of life, especially even just doing this show, which is phenomenal. But, it, you know, I just feel like whether you're in New York or Paris or a small town in Nebraska, we all owe it to ourselves and to humanity in general to really learn about other cultures, about other races, especially if we are in a homogenous environment. I grew up in a very small town in Nebraska. Again, not ashamed of that. There are some beautiful parts of it, but I owe it to myself and to others to get educated and to learn more about those around me, especially in the country, this beautiful country that we're in, where we are all kind of working around how we're all supposed to be hanging out together and doing business and working. And it's not always pretty, obviously, right? But let's try to make it a little bit more pretty. Let's try to make it a little bit more cohesive, a little bit more accepting, a little bit more equitable right so wasn't this nation supposed to be built on certain foundations one of which is equality among the people anyway i'm gonna get off my soapbox and let's dive right into this marvelous interview with zakia walker 
Once again, everyone, this is Zakia. Your website is leoseason.com, right? Right. Excellent. So, and usually I get right into the nitty gritty of who the people are, but let's let's go ahead and just get right into what your website is about. So if uh, anybody's curious or they just want to look it up as they listen, then they can. So if you want to go for it. Sure. Um, like he said, my name is Zakia Walker. I own leoseason.com, personal revolution coaching for black women. What I do specifically is I help women go from living lives of overwhelm and unfulfillment to being revolutionary. Um, I started off as a life coach about five years ago, um, basically focused on rebellious spirituality and helping people um, figure out what they wanted to do in terms of spirituality that was different from the norms and what was accepted. I found that a lot of my Black women clients had different issues that I wasn't addressing, nor were any other coaches in the market addressing. So I essentially rebranded my focus to um, rebranded my company to focus specifically on black women um, and help them walk through the disconnection that we feel as people who have been disconnected from the African diaspora because we were snatched from our homeland um, via slavery and therefore we have no connection to our culture. So being here, we have a lot of ancestral baggage, generational trauma, and what I call black strong black woman syndrome. So my coaching helps women through that and go takes them through the process of healing and helping them live out loud in public on purpose. I feel so privileged and lucky and fortunate to be able to interview people like you. And I was at, recently in D.C. I went to uh, the African-American Cultural History Museum. And awesome. yeah, oh, super, super cool. And I was able to interview a couple of really strong black women there, too. Um, and, and they gave me it was actually that's already a published episode in the uh, D.C. discussions episode. And and a few others. So I, I feel like there's this a recurring theme here. Um, and I think it's a, a theme that and especially in this day and age, we need to keep on getting it out there. And I feel like your take is your angle is a little bit even different. And I think I feel like we have a lot to discuss. I'm going to try to keep it not keep you the whole night. I understand you're busy up there in New York. Probably have a bunch of stuff to do. But can you address, before we even get into some more of the personal matters, what can you define the strong black woman syndrome? Um, the strong black woman syndrome is the idea that um, black women are raised with, that the entire world is on our shoulders, that we have to take care of everything and everyone. And it is not acceptable for us to show any weakness or vulnerability. Um, we, we constantly have to be strong all the time. And that breaks us. We can't be human. It's almost like this superhero trope um, where we're, we have our cape on all the time, as opposed to allowing ourselves to be human and be vulnerable and feel things and have moments of weakness like everyone else gets to. Of course. And what's the you don't mind my asking how how do you go about um addressing that with your clients um there's it, it it's a it's a process i usually work with my clients anywhere from three months to six months sometimes i have um clients that i work with up to a year it's really 
a mindset shift in changing wrong beliefs. Um, we have to get rid of, of the of constructs and these things that simply aren't true. Um, and like I said, it's a matter of ancestral baggage and a lot of generational trauma as well. These things are passed down to us generationally. They didn't start with us. It's in, um, though everything started in Africa. So essentially black women birthed the world. So it is in our DNA to take care of everyone and everything. And um, science indicates that trauma is passed down through your DNA. And those types of qualities are passed down. If you, if you take a... Um, if you study any group of people that have gone through serious trauma, Holocaust survivors, um, that trauma is passed down into their DNA. Um, countries that have gone through great famine and civil war, that's passed down through their DNA. So being people um, that were not only taken from our culture, put into chattel slavery, and then essentially had our culture beaten out of us, that sits in our DNA and it's passed down. It's actually called epigenetics. Um, um, that's the entire study of it. And a more formal word for it, specifically for people of the African diaspora, is post-traumatic sleep disorder. Um, so in that vein, a lot of, through slavery and historically, the woman was always um, the domineering person in the home. The one that was not only taking care of the slave homes, but also the master's home. So we have this idea that we have to take care of everything and everyone from being the from essentially the world starting in our womb, from the people, from be, taking care of everyone and everything, from essentially being the ones that helped set us free from slavery. So that idea is passed down. So what I do with my clients, I have to essentially take them back and help them reset beliefs that some that some of the things that they are carrying, some of the trauma is not their own. Sometimes they feel this heavy baggage and don't understand why. It's because you're carrying ancestral trauma. You're carrying generational baggage that does not belong to you. So why do we go through the process of unpacking their baggage and figuring out what it is that they've bought into their lives and what it is that has actually been passed down to them and trying to separate the two. Wow. And have you, do you have you found that there's a lot of uh, just anger there or or is it more just, I don't know, like a sense of of more of a sense of duty or a combination of both? Because I feel like, uh, you know, it's go a ahead. Combination of everything. Mm -hmm. I tell my clients all the time and I know from experience, love and resentment can live in the same space. Mm -hmm. um, I am the oldest of three children. Um and both of my parents were um, serious, had chronic illnesses. So I was forced out of childhood at a very early age, and I had to take care of everyone. Mm. How old um, were you? Um, I had my mom got sick when I was eight, so I was her emotional rock. And then around fifteen or sixteen, um, I was essentially taking care of the home financially. And wait, so you were the emotional rock at age eight? And yes, then, um, and then at age fifteen, that's when you basically took over as uh, head of household. Sounds like yeah, yeah. Essentially, my mom got sick. She got really sick after my baby brother was born. And mm -hmm. my mother was an amazing person. It's just her illnesses stole her life away from her. 
And I was the one, I, I was essentially a co-parent. So I didn't have a childhood. I had to take care of everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of resentment that was there because I didn't make this choice. I didn't have any children. I didn't, I, I didn't want this, but I had to because it was my family. And I love them more than I love anything. So resentment and love can absolutely live in the same space. Most um, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I, as I've gotten, as I got older, my mother got more ill. So I, I was very intrinsically tied to bring the, being the breadwinner and making sure that everything and everyone was taken care of. Um, through the time my sister and brother went to college and everything, I was, I was. I, even when I moved out, I was taking care of two homes, paying bills for two houses at a job that I hated. I would have, I would go to work every single day and cry in front of the building, but I had a family to take care of. Wow. That, and that was my responsibility. That is intense. And do you still find, uh, is it still ongoing even to this day where you still feel that responsibility? I guess what I'm asking here too is, do you feel that you struggle with the same things that you're coaching some of your clients through right now? That's why, that's why I do it. Um, it's, Mm -hmm. I've created, I've developed a process where I can deal with it differently and I can let go of things that are not mine. Um, where it's, um, it's essentially called burn your cape. Stop saving people before you save yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it was a difficult process, and but I had to do it. I had a breakdown, and I attempted suicide not once but twice. And I needed to figure out how I was going to save my own life because I didn't want to live that life anymore. I didn't want to live a life of responsibility that wasn't mine. So when I get, I had a very real spiritual awakening, and after my second suicide attempt, I was like, I can't keep doing this either I'm going to die literally or I'm going to live the life that I want so I chose to live the life that I want and um I went deep deep into spiritual meditation um I found a spiritual practice that worked for me um I left my job and started a, a other businesses at a clothing line and I worked in fashion and beauty um for years so I did that on the consulting basis and I loved it I loved it very much and then okay. when I felt like I, I felt that I had developed a process where I could come into my own. I also felt that I needed to help other people. I wasn't the only one struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's my duty to, and essentially I started as, like I said, I started as a coach for essentially everyone. And then I rebranded specifically for black women, but my, my service has evolved and that's how I ended up where I am now. And it's even more important to me um to that that be my legacy to stop to break the chains that bond black women to help us no longer wear that crown of thorns my mom passed away a year and a half ago and um thank you and my heart my heart is still broken there's nothing worse than losing your mother but because i did that work i know that i'll be okay and because I'm living in my purpose, I know that I'll be okay. And everything that she instilled in me is not solely living through me. It's living through the women that I coach. And I am so happy for that. And I 
know for a fact that's what my mom wanted me to do. Oh, well, that that has to be some consolation then, most definitely. Yeah. Um, with with regard to you mentioned legacy. Can you can you elaborate on like, let's say that let's go actually straight to I like to do that. This is a good practice, I think, for anyone to go straight to the end of our days whenever that occurs. No one really knows. But on your deathbed, what do you want to be remembered for when, uh, you know, you're basically breathing your last? What is it that you really want to be remembered for, uh, you know, just your life works and for how you affected people around the world? I want to be known for helping Black women achieve sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And I think about this a lot. That that is my goal. And um, part of my coaching practice is help women start from the end, figure out what your legacy, what legacy you want to leave, and then go backwards and, and walk them through the process of achieving that. Legacy is so, so important. The tenets of my coaching are lifestyle, lineage, and legacy. Um, yep. And legacy is, is usually our final lesson. So we go through a process of creating our legacy and everything we do from there on is part of the legacy that we leave that we leave so yeah. um, i want to ensure that i want to make sure that black women are in a better space than they were when i started doing my coaching there's 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 literally no one more hated in the world than black women and if you look out on if you look on television if you look out in the media if you just walk down the street if you um if you're around any group of people that um interact with black women we are treated like the lowest of the low there's no protection for us there's nothing i just that is horrible that it's absolutely and i i feel like there are so many and you know especially those of us like once again you know me being a a white guy from the Midwest. I live in Austin, Texas now, but I've traveled a little bit and I've talked with some people. And this is kind of a recurring thing where mm -hmm. I'm hearing about this ongoing, you know, thing, basically just, you know, uh, people who are still subjects of extreme, of bigotry, of hatred, of just, you know, racism. Let's call it what it is. And I feel like there are so many people who don't understand that it's still an ongoing thing. So, can you elaborate a little bit on what is still just the cause of all this and what we can do? I know we know what you're doing, which is awesome, but maybe what do we all need to be more aware of people, you know, from whatever demographic, socioeconomic and whatever their skin color is, how can we all be more uh, involved in a solution and even across political lines, if that's if that's possible at this day in this day and age. But what are your thoughts there? Um, the biggest issues um, amongst the, the biggest issues I find there's there's the very real issue of white supremacy in America. Um, and that affects people, all people of color, um, mm -hmm. but specifically black women. There's patriarchy and then there's respectability politics. So those are the three things that make that have that affect the vitriol um, associated with black women. Um, mm. 
we, what is that, the third one there? Can you touch on that a little bit? The respectability the, politics? Respectability politics is the idea that we just can't simply be human, being, human beings. We have to be perfect in order to be respected. And respect should be given to all people. But if you've ever heard someone say, well, I don't respect such and such because they don't respect themselves. Like, what exactly is it respect, respecting yourself? It could We get called all types of names for being sexual beings. We have... We get called bitches for being for being assertive and, and asserting our ground. Mm. If we if we don't act like the Queen of England and aren't perfect at all times. <laughs> right. Well that's another social construct too, like the, the perfect but that's more just like, you know, white british whatever you know so yeah exactly there's there's a very real difference between how people would treat a beyonce and how people would treat a cardi b and that's what i that's what i tell them there is they're not very different people they just they just have different personalities why would you not respect cardi b but you respect beyonce there is no difference because cardi has a sexual past and she's worked in the adult industry people have to eat Yep. And everyone is worthy of respect. But if we do something that you don't that you don't deem respectable, it wear all types of holes and dots and all these ridiculous words that people come across, come up with to describe us. And mm-hmm. like I said, no one gets more vitriol than the black woman because we're expected to be perfect. We're expected to raise these fam- we raise families perfectly, but we have we're in a situation where we're raising families alone. We're expected to not be sexual beings, but when we're not sexual beings, we're prudes. It's like it's almost like you can't do anything right. Right. Like it's a no win situation. Yeah, and Absolutely. what you're talking about here is exactly what uh, I just interviewed a person here in Austin who she does uh, sexual healing, Mm -hmm. you know, and we talked about that exact thing. And she mentioned the exact thing with regard to patriarchy and all of these things and respect. It's it's just it's amazing that it's so prevalent still. So here's another question, then. How do you think and I I honestly didn't uh, intend for this to become an, you know, totally all about this, but I feel like this is a really pertinent subject. This is awesome. Yeah, no, it's very good to to really get down in the nitty gritty here. What do you think then? How do you think most of us or a lot of us are kind of lying to ourselves maybe when it comes to because especially those of us who are not on that side of or even even people of color who are not like black women who Mm -hmm. possibly don't understand because obviously there's a, a sheet pulled over people's eyes, you know, and not just the KKK sheet. But the we're just not a lot of us probably aren't seeing that. So how is it that we're how else are we deluding ourselves, I guess? People definitely people are are definitely not aware or refuse to acknowledge that white supremacy is a thing. Patriarchy is a thing. Black men have a failure to understand that, yes, they are black men and they suffer from white supremacy, but they still have the benefit of patriarchy. The best thing people can do is acknowledge their privilege. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging your privilege. We all have it in some form. White privilege does exist. Male privilege mm-hmm. does exist. Hetero and cisgender privilege does exist. Ableist p- privilege does exist. So um, I'm, I, yes, I, I'm a minority woman. I'm a person of color. I grew up in the hood, um, but I do have privilege. I am able-bodied. I, my gender corresponds to the gender I was born with. 
Um, so they, those things are very important. And we as people have a failure to accept that they do possess privilege. Privilege is about um, privilege is systematic and it's societal. It's not about what you've gone through individually. Life is harsh. We all know that. If you have white privilege, it doesn't mean that you haven't gone through anything personally. It just means that there are things that are easy for you because you are white. Patriarchy and male privilege indicates that things are easier for you because you're a man. Ableist mm-hmm. privilege, things are easier because of easier for you because you are able-bodied. And we all have privilege that sometimes we fail to understand. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Let's break it down some more. Uh, Can you give some more? um, That And that was beautifully put, by the way. That was, I think, uh, and even me, I don't think along those terms a lot, just being very honest and it's very refreshing. I think we need to understand that. Can you dig a little bit deeper too? How how else are... um, is there anything that that we're missing here that just general just people that we're not we're not seeing even just the way in which we speak about let's say black women or that uh and i'm talking of course in in probably a little bit of stereotype here too and i want to tread carefully there but if it's an ongoing thing i feel like just it, the more that we can identify errant thinking uh and and i speak as much for myself as anyone uh, you know, I think the better off we can be to, because awareness and being conscious of something is one of the first steps in, in addressing something and actually acknowledging something. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people think that think that racism is like the KKK and Confederate flags and people dropping the M-bomb all over the, over the place. No, racism right. can be very very casual it shows up in a lot of microaggressions it shows up mm-hmm. when the way you address certain women um example um i i worked in a at a beauty company where i was one of very few women of color um and we we developed we developed skincare products and the per, well makeup products and when products came down and i would get samples it would just, there would be three colors. There would be fair, medium, and tan. And then they would go, um, can you test this out? No, no, I cannot. I, I absolutely cannot because there is no dark. Well, why can't, mm-hmm. I don't understand. What do you mean you don't understand? There is no dark. Don't pretend to be colorblind. I am a different shade. <laughs> exactly. You can see me. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't use these colors. And they're, then they're like, well, that's the industry standard. Well, the standard needs to change because people come in more than four colors. And then they put that under they put that under the guise of being colorblind. You go ahead and watch a beauty watch a beauty commercial and just put the black and white screen on and let people do their makeup and see how that turns out with your colorblindness. Yeah. Colorblind colorblindness is is nonsense. If you say you're colorblind, that means you're refusing to see that other people are suffering because you're sitting in a place of privilege. We also have to discuss microaggressions, how you speak to people on the day to day, how you tell yep. how you tell a person of color that they're smart or they're articulate or you're you're pretty to be brown skin or oh your, your hair is so different. I wish I had it. Those are don't say that. Or I had someone say to me, um, oh, it's tan, it's tanning season. Soon I'll be your shade. No black person ever wants to hear that. 
don't say that. Watch the things that come out of your mouth because they're, they're super offensive and that's casual racism. And even if you're not like, I hate black people, there are things that you say that indicate that you are casually racist. And if someone points it out to you, you get all offensively and you go into your feelings and you make it about you. That's a problem. If you're going, if you're going to either admit that you're racist or you have some racist tendencies, or if you're going to be an ally, you have to listen. What I find in um, specifically with allies and even in this feminist space, the feminist space is very white centered. And there's this thing called white tears where essentially white tears. Okay. White Let's hear tears, this. Where white people want to speak for other people based upon their experiences. So they get very upset about <clears throat> about things that they think are offensive to people of color, but they have no idea. They've never been in the situation. So they start coming oh. right tears and saying, I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. But you're not being sensitive. You're not listening to the actual people who have this experience. You block us out of spaces, but you want to talk for us. Is it kind of like one of those things where it seems like maybe it's not really a about being an ally it's more about like look at me defending those who are exactly and wearing the kind of white an association with the white tears a white cape kind of and and, and i think there you know hollywood has definitely helped progress that ridiculous image in some movies and all that where it's just like come on you know it's like um, amongst people of color we call them white savior films things like the blind side (laughs) Um, those movies where yeah. a white person comes in to save the poor black person, it's, it's obnoxious. Um, yeah. One of the things I have the biggest problem with is mm-hmm. um, something like Orange is the New Black. And people love it. it it's fine. It's entertaining. It is what it is. Um, do you watch Orange is the New Black? I've seen the first couple seasons and then oh. I kind of just fell off. Okay, yeah. the- so I haven't, I haven't been up to, up to date with it. The thing about Orange is the New Black, it is about a white woman who go, a, a wealthy white woman who goes to jail for a year for a crime she committed maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the story is a built, uh, are built around the trauma of women of color. Now, I find that problematic because you're taking a white lens and you're telling the stories of women of color through that white lens and you cannot possibly get it right, which means you're profiting off of black trauma. And Hollywood does that day in and day out. They want to tell these traumatic and painful stories of people of color, people in the hood, um, Hispanics, all of these people that are living difficult lives, but they're telling it through a white lens in a space where we're not allowed to tell our own stories because you block us out of your boardrooms, you block us out of your, your, your studios. And that is very, very problematic. We need to be able to tell our own stories. And many of us are pushing through. We have Issa Rae, we have Amir Barak, we have people that are pushing through because of um, new innovations in technology, but it's definitely not enough. Hollywood loves to profit off of black trauma and it needs to freaking stop and it's been doing it for a long 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 time okay so going to the media yeah what what else can we do then do you think to uh sounds like we need a revamp when it comes to the film industry and tv 
everything and just really switch it from because let's be honest, it has been through a white lens for an extraordinary, I mean, well, since its inception, yeah. right? And, and to this day, it still goes on. So what are some things that in your eyes that we can do to change that up? We can stop talking about diversity and actually be freaking diverse. You, these conversations, <laughs> these meetings and these workshops and shutting down businesses for a day to talk about diversity are a waste of time. You get people of color in the door and you listen to them. You get them in the door and you listen to them. Don't make them a token. If you have one person of color in your entire business, that means nothing when you don't listen to them. Then you have things that happen like, <coughs> excuse me, like what happened with Roseanne. I don't know who didn't see that coming. Who, who didn't see that coming? You should have listened. If you have a, let's just say, um, I've been working in beauty for years. So you see a Dove commercial come down where um, you have um, a woman start off as a woman of color and then she washes with soap and then she becomes white. How did that get through anyone? How did that get through QA? That doesn't <laughs> right. And don't hire just for the sake of hiring and have the numbers. Let people of color come in and advise you. I've been in the situation where, like I said, I worked in beauty and I would be the only person of color in the room. And people would be shell shocked when I say something like this product isn't going to work for black people. It's not going to work for black women. Um, Even with hair products, it's just like... um, well, why why won't this work for for why Zakia? Can you test this? Um, no, it's not going to work for me. My hair is kinky. What does that mean? You're developing hair products. You should know, <laughs> right? And not just for a partic- particular demographic. You know exactly. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed when I when I was traveling, I, I went to uh, some parts of of Asia, and I noticed that in the stores. A lot, because this is the a widespread problem. I feel like this, uh, well, probably the, a lot of Westernization of the world, anyway. But these products out there that are developed specifically to lighten skin tone, yeah. like all over the place. Whether you get to a Seven Eleven or whatever, I don't, I don't really know for sure if, if uh, how you know how far-reaching it is here. But even with like the product going from media to just general like beauty products, Mm -hmm. how much of that is a problem right now in this day and age? Oh, it's a it's a problem. And it's always been a problem historically, um, particularly the the, look, blackness is demonized all over the world because white people have colonized all brown people. Um, So the lighter you the white is right, the lighter you are, the better you are. Um, People in Africa are killing themselves, bleaching their skin to become lighter, to become more acceptable. That's happening here in America. Um, There's historically black people have treated their lighter children better or this or didn't want a certain color person to marry into their families. There's been groups that dark skinned people have been um, left out of. Um, Years ago, there used to be something called the paper bag test. And um, essentially they would, if for a man to marry a woman or a woman to be acceptable in certain institutions, in certain clubs, um, acceptable to date someone's son, she had to be lighter than a paper bag. Oh, wow. Otherwise, I had not heard of that. Otherwise, she she was not acceptable. So that's built that's built in. There's a very deep divide amongst people of color um, 
there's a there's a there's a very deep divide with colorism, particularly in the black community. The lighter you are, the more acceptable you are, the more attractive you seem to be. Um, mm-hmm. As we're as time is progressing, we are definitely beginning to accept melanated tones more. But if you look at Hollywood, all of the Hollywood starlets are lighter. All of the musicians are lighter. There are a lot of people that are super talented but can't get work because they are not light enough. So that's something yeah. that's very, very intrinsically tied to not only the black community, but the world. Um, think about it. People, the the women of color that are in movies, they're usually very racially ambiguous. J-Lo has played every race under the sun and she's a, she's Puerto Rican. Now, Puerto Rican right. started in the African diaspora and they were dropped off in different places during the slave trade. And they mixed with various um, Aztecs and various other um, ethnicities. But at the end of the day, she's still a person of color. Do you see J-Lo um, have a love interest that's another Hispanic or another person of color? No, it's always a white man. If you mm-hmm. If you look at Will Smith, his love interest in a movie is always a non-black woman. If you look, even Denzel, maybe he had Viola Davis, but that was in um, in Fences, but that was also a very black play written by a very black playwright from the 70s. But even Denzel, who is un- unabashedly black and proud to be black, always has a leading lady that is not a black woman. As it will rock, I guess at, at least with black. yeah. Well, at least with Will Smith, he did have Independence Day. I remember that one, yeah. where his wife was actually she was a stripper too. <laughs> so I added another dimension. So yeah, the, I guess kudos for that one. Yeah, that was way above, way before its time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so how do you think? How do you think um, going from from this? this side of things where it's a little bit, well, not even just a little bit, it is, it's, it's dark. There are some things that are, you know, just, there are some things that are going on in this country and across around the world. And this is just one out of, out of a few that are like definitely not good. And you're doing your part to, to uh, make change there. Now on the flip side of all of that, what do you see in life? And it doesn't even have to necessarily be about, you know, uh, racial equality, and all that but what do you see in life that's just purely beautiful and a good thing things that bring you intense joy um i spent a i would my undergrad degree is in broadcast journalism um at one time i wanted to be a white house white house correspondent um so i oh cool obsessed obsessed with the news probably more so than i should be um, so I'm up on all current events and the world is a dark and ugly, ugly place. Trump America is a very, very different thing. Um, oh, yeah. it's, it, it, it's awful. It is. It is literally it really is. awful. It's, it's such a zoo. It's all, it's all yeah. dystopian. It really is. But yeah, there's that light of, and that light, that group of people that say, no, I'm not going to let this happen. Not on my watch. So people organizing in their community, um, going up, challenging the president, running for office, people who wouldn't have done this before. They are stepping up and making their, their self known in the in the those Parkland children. They lost 17 of their classmates 
And they could have gone and cried to their parents, but they rose up and started a revolution. That gives me hope. People that fight to make the world a better place, that gives me hope. And every single day, it fills my heart. Even when I'm watching Black men get shot by the cops every day, when I'm seeing the Jeff Sessions separate immigrant families from their children and put these children in cages, that hurts my soul. But when I see a woman, a person of color, someone that's disenfranchised say, no, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to run for office. I'm going to start this protest. I'm going to start this petition. I'm going to take action. You will not do this on my watch. That's when I feel so much better. Yeah. Would you say that we're not just people aren't just lying down and and taking it? They're actually doing something. Absolutely. Action is awareness is nothing without action. Don't waste my time telling me what you're thinking about. I don't have time for it. What are you going to do? Because we have to move. With, I know what you're doing with the the website and what you're doing, you're working with your clients, but do you have any far, re, um, I mean, you talked about even like being a journalist for the White House. Do you want to be a White House correspondent at one point in time? Do you, are you thinking about entering politics? Um, It's a, it's a thought. It's definitely a thought. Um, My work at coaching black women is not done, but you know, I think we have, our, our lives have several different iterations. So that's something I am definitely open to. Most definitely. What If you did run for something, how do you think you'd start out? What, where do you think you'd go for? And even more, moreover, what would you, what would be your first thing, first thing or things that you would change in at least your community or a, a larger community? I would definitely start out in the community that I grew up in. Um, I, I grew up in North New Jersey and um, it's in North New Jersey. It's an interesting place. It used to be very wealthy well before the King riots. And then um, people started moving out and it got poor and then crack hit and it become, became very destitute. Now um, it's seeing a resurgence and um, a whole lot of gentrifiers. But there's still that gentrified part of North and there's still the very, very poor part, part, of, part of North. And the more they gentrify, the more they move poor people out and the poor become more poor. So if you're moving more wealthy people in, where are the poor people going to go? They're going on the streets. Um, so I would definitely, my, the most important thing to me is ensuring that the wealthy don't solely come in and take over the entire city, that poor people have a voice. And it, it's so important to me that poor people have, have a voice because no one wants to listen to poor people and disenfranchised people. They want to listen to people who have the money and it's not fair. This country, yes, it, it, it stands for going with the majority, but in, but it's also the Constitution ensures that the minority rights are not trampled on. And we're in a space right now where minorities and the disenfranchised are being trapped, trampled on. And it is my it is my duty to speak for yep. those people, which is an ad. I mean, that that in and of itself is 
really good. I think we need more politicians who will actually not they'll start, you know, stop giving so much of a shit about themselves and about getting more money and all that and actually caring. And and when I say actually, I mean, I really mean actually caring. Like I can feel it when you tell me that, that you you would do that, you know, but there's so many people out there. Uh, that it's just, you know, lip service. And I guess that's another question. How do we get to the point where we can start trusting? Is there, are, are, is it redeemable even? Can we start trusting politicians in, uh, as, well, just here in this country? And how do we, how do we get people to stop wanting just everything for themselves? Me, 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 an age old kind of everything's about, you know, me. And get more of a, 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 you know, a desire to help and to change and to actually bring about equality. What, what's the answer there? We have to coordinate. We have to do, um, we have to organize and we have to ensure that um, at the end of the day, politics is about money. So we have to figure out and rally around people who are going to make a change and put our money where our mouth, mouths are. These million dollar corporations um, spend money on anti-gay legislation, mm-hmm. anti-immigrant and things that are versus the people of color to native. We need to gather in our communities and put money around what matters to us. Schooling, keeping immigrants safe, keeping poor people safe, ensuring that children have health care, have food, ensuring that children are not being separated from their parents and put in mm-hmm. freaking cages. Um, so, yeah, those are things we have stopped thinking that we don't have a voice. This is our country. Those people work for us. And the more we organize the more we can get them. They may not listen to one voice, but they'll listen to a million. They right. have no choice. Yep. So Zakia for uh Zakia Walker for president then. Is this that's what I'm hearing. That's I you you have my vote right yeah. away. I mean seriously, you just convinced me. So I'm <laughs> I'm totally in and I'm gonna start campaigning right now. <laughs> no, but seriously I, Yeah, I, I really do hope uh you consider getting into politics because even just talking with you and and hopefully for the listeners too that it sparks a little bit more of a fire. I mean, everybody is busy doing their own thing. We all have our, our jobs and families to take care of and things like that. But even if it's just a little thing here and there, being aware first and then what action to take. So, you know, I think you one of your main points here in this converse, conversation, too, is action. We can talk all we want, but if we're not going to do anything, it doesn't mean anything. So... Uh, if you have anything to offer there, uh, I'm going to ask one more question after this, but if you have anything more right now to offer there with regard to action, actions that we can take for both, uh, you know, whether you're a person of color or if you totally grew up in a suburb in white America, whatever, what are some good actions that you would recommend? The first thing you need to do is assess your privilege. Assess your privilege and be very, very honest with yourself about what privileges you have. If you're if you're white, if you're male, if you're straight, if you're cisgendered, um, if you're able bodied, assess your assess your privilege and acknowledge it. Understand that other people have it more difficult than you based on how they were born. It is I'm not saying no one's saying that you don't have problems. 
but your problems are a little different if you're a straight white white male from middle America than if you are a a gay brown kid from from Camden, mm-hmm. you sure. know? And understand that those it doesn't it doesn't negate your personhood. It doesn't mean you need to feel sorry. It just means that you need to understand that people are different and they need different types yep. of help. That's good. And what what kind of and when let's say that uh, someone let's say someone from Iowa is listening to this and they are like, OK, mm-hmm. well, I, I, you know, I'm recognizing my privilege here. What can I do about it? And what are some things that I definitely should avoid doing? Because we don't want to get into the white cape thing, the white tears thing. We don't need any of that. So yeah. what are some pitfalls we need to yeah. avoid when we're addressing some of those things? If if you're going to talk to a person that is different from you, um, don't white explain. <laughs> don't tell them how sorry you are or tell them what it's like being white. Um, we've all we all have to assimilate to whiteness. Mm-hmm. So we get it. Whereas white people never have to assimilate to any other culture. Listen with your heart and try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Ask questions, but don't but don't be offensive and stop Jesus Christ stop appropriating culture <laughs> can we just stop please it. stop that yes. culture culture is culture is not a costume it is people's lives think before you do things think before you appropriate religion appropriate outfits appropriate hairstyles appropriate music understand that various cultures have come up with something and once you get your hands on it and and claim it as yours, you're just Columbusing. Mm. Don't do that anymore. Gotcha. Don't Columbus didn't didn't discover anything. He just came and staked his claim on it. And that's what happens with appropriation. You take all these things that have been here. You put cornrows in your hair, you put bantu knots, you you almost Rachel Rachel Dozel the whole thing. Like don't do that. Okay, and understand if you're going to do it's okay to be appreciative of something and celebrate something that someone else that someone else's culture, but understand that is someone else's culture. That means something to someone. Those cornrows in your hair have meant something to uh, to people of color historically. And if you put on an African print or a head wrap or certain or I've seen people put on war paint or around Halloween they they put on native garb or they do chanting or you listen to hip hop music and all of a sudden you want to be a rapper understand where these things came from they came from non-white mm-hmm. people and that's okay y'all got a whole bunch of white stuff too that you created and we get it <laughs> we understand it. right yeah yeah you understand that that is some white stuff. We get it. <laughs> but just give us the same. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, th- there's been, uh, I think throughout history, there's <laughs> been a lot of just, uh, you know, people stealing from various cultures and then like claiming it as, well, yeah, we created this rock and roll or whatever. And then you look back, it's like, well, let's actually look at the roots of rock and roll and, and things like that, you know? So. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. What? What? So, what do you think? I was going to ask one more question, but I've got some more questions for you because I think we need to okay. we need to hear your voice here. This is some good stuff, you know. I love it. Um, now, let's say when you have a family, let's say uh, a man and a woman get together, or a woman and a woman, or a man and a man, and or a transgender, and it doesn't matter to me. But let's say it's uh, we're talking cross cultural cross cultural stuff here. 
And then they have they have kids too. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Do you have any advice for kids out there who maybe have grown up in a multicultural family, multiracial family to where how they can um, things that maybe they need to be aware of or or any advice for the parents out there? Don't let anyone on the outside define what your family is. That is yours. You can define it any way you want to. Yep. And that, that's the most important thing, defining your family for yourself. Um, multiracial, if you're a multiracial family, that just means you have a whole bunch of amazing mixed yep. all up in you. Yep. So, so be, don't, don't hide any part of that. Explore your lineage. Find out all the amazing things, whether you're Afri whether you have African descent, Italian, um, Scandinavian, everyone has someone to offer. And culture is so, so rich. Utilize that to your advantage and help you allow it to help you define yourself. There's too many people walking around looking like each other, talking like <laughs> each other, and just being each other that I, I can't halfway tell right. the difference. All of all of that mixture, that makes you you and own that and work. I it. like that. And what are some of the what, what if you could give me maybe three, what are the three just absolute best as aspects of just uh, of black culture? And and please correct me if I if I even that statement right there is not, you know, yeah. No, no, it's fine. It's, it's so I mean. Despite all the nonsense and the BS that you deal with when you're black, being black yeah. is hard, but being black is so amazing. Right. You know, we can we can make something out of nothing. We, we really can. We can whip something up and we can take the worst lot in life and make it look like it's amazing. Our swag is unparalleled. Um, we love with our hearts. We are supremely loyal. Um and we are deeply, deeply spiritual, sometimes to a fault. But when we hold on to that which created us, no matter who we feel, whether whether you subscribe to the one that the Abrahamic religions, African spirituality, um, um, Israelite, anything, we understand that there is something bigger than us. And our creator has created us to create, and I don't mean just procreation, just creating people, but create something that is beneficial to the world, whether it's art, whether it's science. And that's that's something that's built in us as we're growing up. Our parents are telling us, look, the world, it, it, it may be a white man's world, but come in and kick it in his ass. Do what you have to do. So being black is lit. We do <laughs> <laughs> That's it really cool. is. I like that. Yeah. Uh, anything else you you have to add about about just uh, black culture? Another beautiful aspect of it. Anything else to add? Oh my God! There's so many beautiful things about black culture. Um, we're just us. We're we're different. There's no. There's literally nothing like black people, and. Honestly, the world's a is a better place because we're here. Yeah. Um, we we bring, we bring a flavor that that doesn't that doesn't exist otherwise. From from dance to the arts, everything we put a little we put a little twist on everything. So yeah. that that's what I, I love about my people. 
that that's what I love. Even in the face of adversity, when the world is kicking you down, we will do something super swaggy. That, oh, <laughs> that love it. That, yeah, that. <laughs> I hear you. That's cool. Uh, I, I tell you what, that that is some really good stuff for I think a lot of us, especially, you know, in the, the Trump world right now. And um, I think you're we need to hear more of your voice. We need to hear more and, and not just your voice, like being a woman of color, but also hear from we need to hear from strong like women, but strong women. But I say that with the caveat that, you know, you don't have to always be strong. I mean, yeah. you know, as you, you can you can be vulnerable too, just like all of us, you know, just like it goes the same thing for men too. Men can have right. that kind of the onus like, oh, we got to be tough and all that all the time. But no, same thing there. Not oh, same man. thing, but it's, it was, you know. It would take me days to discuss masculinity and all the things that men can do. Right. That, that's a whole different conversation. That's, yeah, that's when I go up to New York and we get together. We'll have to do a live interview because I, I feel oh. like this is just like interview one of, I don't know, I feel like we could talk probably for a 10 days straight and, and still have yeah. more to talk about, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, this is good stuff. And I'm going to ask you just one more question. This is actually okay. just one more question that I'm going to let you go. Um, so I want you to imagine that you're just walking along. Uh, let's say you're in Central Park, you're walking along. And then just a kid comes up to you and he knows nothing about life whatsoever here in the States. And he's just a, he's a kid from... I don't know, let's just say Bangladesh, but he speaks flawless English and all that. But he's visiting here and he was not really taught a whole bunch by his parents. And he just wants to get your opinion about what life is, what it looks like. What does it mean? What does it mean to be human even? What would you tell this kid? He's like, I don't know, five, maybe seven, something like that. It's a beautiful struggle. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But then when you're through it, you'll look back and appreciate it. Yep. What if he asked you, so wh- why? why? Why does it? Why is it going to hurt? What's the purpose there? They're lessons. They're, 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 you're taught lessons in over and over again until you get it right, and then you move on to the next one. Um, and that that's in life, and I'm, I'm not sure how far we're going to go here, whether what anyone's spiritual beliefs are. But even when you go on to the next life, those past lessons that you didn't learn in this lifetime, they're going to hit you in the next one. So there you go. Well, that's cool. I think you'll. <laughs> yeah. Whether he believes you or not at that point <laughs> in time, he'll definitely find out that. Yeah. Wh- whatever you're wherever you're at in life, definitely it will, uh, you'll go through some struggle for sure. Well, um, Zakia, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad we, you know, had a chance to talk. And once again, yeah, no, absolutely. And the whole point is, well, I want to get into your shoes as much as possible. And I feel like there are a lot of people in the States and all around the world that need to, you know, try as much as we can get into your shoes. So once again, just a shout out to your site. It's leoseason.com. And yeah, so personal revolution coaching for black women. I love it. And stay tuned for, I think we're definitely, when I go up to New York, I'm going to try to spend a week up there in the summer. Let's try to get together. I'll I'll reach out and see if we can't do a a live interview with some video and all that. Of course, I'll guide you to all the good food. 
Oh, all right. That's good. I'm uh, I'm hooked up then. All okay. right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to hey, thank you so much for checking out this episode of In the Shoes of. If you like or don't like the podcast, feel free to leave a review or reach out to me. My email is jnickel42 at gmail.com. I can't promise you I'll get back to you right away, but I'll definitely try and get to it. Anyway, thank you so much for checking it out. Until the next time, see you later.